Happy Easter, Ridgeway Church. I think it's probably safe to say that this is the first time in the history of our country where Christians uh, stayed home on Easter. Easter is always a great time where we come together and celebrate uh, what I believe is the, is the best Sunday of the year, the best time in history. In fact, the early Christians would have a greeting when they'd see each other, and it was, Christ is risen, and the response was, he's risen indeed. Uh, I can't do that, I guess, although I'll say it, and you can say it from home. Uh, Christ is risen, and indeed he is risen. You know, I, I'll tell you something. Uh, I, I was a little uh, discouraged this week when I, when I got a postcard uh, addressed to us here at the church. It says, Dear Church, I'm interested in buying your house. I can pay you cash for your house. You don't have to uh, repair it or even clean it up. Man, it's tough enough that we haven't been able to be together for the last couple of weeks. Now they're wanting to buy the church from us. I tell you what, we're not selling. In fact, the beautiful thing is, is we're not a building, but we're a people. And we're discovering that all week long as we meet together in our small groups, our connect groups through, uh, through uh, modern technology. Uh, and we're going to celebrate Easter today. And again, I'm glad you can be watching with us. Um, Again, I just say it, it's a special time. In fact, I love, I love what uh, the, uh, the theologian uh, N.T. Wright says concerning Easter. He says, Christianity, you see, isn't a set of ideas. It isn't a path of spirituality. It isn't a rule of life. It isn't a political agenda. It includes and indeed gives energy to all those things. But at its very heart, it is something different. It is good news about an event which has happened in the world, an event because of which the world can never be the same again. And those who believe it and live by it will never be the same again either. I like that. In fact, church historians said for the first couple centuries of the church, the resurrection held not just center stage, but the whole stage of the church movement. Uh, remove resurrection and you lose the whole New Testament and, and all the early church writings as well. It's just paramount, it's pivotal. It's again, at the very center of our faith. Uh, we were, I shared last week a little bit that, that Debbie and I had spent uh, a few days in, in Israel and uh, we were so excited to get most of our tour done, our pilgrimage. And then uh, as any pilgrimage, you have a destination and our destination was Jerusalem. We just arrived a couple days early and then our, our trip was, was closed down because of the, uh, the coronavirus. And, and we were thankfully uh, very close to the ancient walls and the ancient city of Jerusalem. So we were able to fill our days with self-guided tours. And uh, this first morning that we went out, we walked by the uh, very famous garden tomb. It's literally a garden and inside there's a tomb and a lot of Christians have gone there over the years. It's believed by some that that's maybe the tomb where Jesus uh, was, was laid to rest uh, and was, was, was placed in. Uh, but when, I, when we walked by it that Sunday morning, and I got a picture here that you see, uh, kind of caught my attention. I thought it was interesting. It said, closed on Sunday. Uh, and I thought, Something's wrong with this picture. You see, it's because of Sunday and the tomb being opened and the stone being rolled away uh, that we're here today worshiping Jesus Christ and the body of Christ, the church universal, is celebrating as best they can uh, around the world today. Uh, so I, I just thought that was kind of interesting. But for, uh, suppose for just a minute that the resurrection never happened. Suppose Jesus was still in that tomb. Suppose that the garden tomb was closed on that first Sunday. 25 years following the resurrection, the apostle Paul wrote a letter to the church at Corinth because some of the believers there did not believe in a physical 
resurrection. And Paul, uh, he reveals what in, in, in the very beginning of the context addressing this issue, he reveals what uh, the very first followers of Jesus believed. He said this, for what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. So what's that saying? First of all, Paul wasn't making this up. This was passed on to him. Some believe that this was one of the earliest creeds of the ancient church. Uh, those that were the very, uh, those who walked with Jesus were, were saying this and reciting this. What was he saying? Christ died for our sins that the reason Jesus died on the cross was to forgive us of our sins. He was buried, evidence of his death. He was raised on the third day, uh, a bodily uh, uh, resurrection. It was spiritual, why wait three days, right? And then I like that according to scriptures, not just Paul pointing out some proof texts in the Old Testament or not quoting New Testament scriptures because the New Testament was being written in that moment, Paul is writing scriptures that we now have in our New Testament. Uh, I think it was God's master plan. The scripture as a story that has, it's come to a culmination in Jesus' death and his resurrection. What an amazing story it is. So Paul went on to say, he said this, if Christ has not been raised, or as I like to say this morning, if the tomb was closed on Sunday, uh, our preaching is useless. It's hopeless. It's a colossal waste of time. And our faith it's, it's also useless, or as one translation says, our faith is in, in vain. So our preaching is useless, our faith is in vain. Uh, and, uh, and Paul would write later to the Romans to, to kind of combat this. He says, if you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Can you see that? The, the proclamation of the Lordship of Jesus Christ and also believing, not just in Jesus, but in his resurrection. It was central to the early church, it's central to our church today. Paul also said, if Christ has not been raised, he said, uh, he and the disciples were liars, that they were false witnesses. Now, you know and I know that you might, uh, you might live for a lie, but very few people, if any, would ever die for a lie. And, and tradition tells us that 10 of the 12 disciples died the, uh, a martyr's death. And only John lived uh, to old age. So uh, obviously, uh, you can see Paul combating this, and, and it'll kind of conclude here in a second. But Paul also says, if Christ has not been raised, you're still in your sins. Interesting. Sin is sovereign. Sin is, uh, is inescapable. Sin is large and in charge in our, in our life. Paul is saying, if Christ did not rise from the dead, that Good Friday or the cross is irrelevant, uh, that there's no forgiveness. Well, reality is the cross and the empty tomb are connected and that beautiful one-two punch. You see, there were a lot of wannabe messiahs in and around the life of Jesus Christ. I've seen as many as uh, the, the possibility, some scholars believe maybe up to 10 people who kind of had the charismatic personality, could lead, and they people were following them like they were messiahs, but only one died and came back from the dead, and that's Jesus Christ. And that's why we're here today. That's why we uh, gather every week to, to celebrate and to worship Jesus Christ. Uh, Romans 4, 25 says, he was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. So again, you see the death and his being raised to life in his resurrection, we find justification. Uh, finally, Paul says, if Christ has not been raised, 
uh, if the tomb was closed on Sunday, death is dominant. We're lost in death. There's no hope. We go into the ground and there's nothing after that. There's nothing beyond the grave. But Jesus said in John chapter 11, and John shares this, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. Uh, I like, it's, when Jesus speaks, we listen, right? And that was one of the IMs of, of the Gospel of John, the resurrection. And he, he quoted those words or he shared those words to Mary and Martha at, at Lazarus' funeral. And then he spoke life uh, and, and resurrection into Lazarus. Paul attaches our hope for life and eternal life to the resurrection. I don't know about you, but I'm thankful today that the garden tomb was open that Sunday. I'm thankful today that God has a greater plan than just, just the grave, that there's more than just death. Um, in fact, his answer to, to these statements, if Christ has not been raised, is a resounding proclamation of Christ being raised. He says, but Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. The first fruits simply mean that uh, there was initial harvest, but there's more fruit coming. And that's speaking of resurrection for all those who trust in Christ. Jesus' victory over death secures our victory over death. That's the wonderful story of Easter today. Because the tomb was open on Sunday, not closed, I understand why they closed. They're open six days a week. But the fact is that first Sunday, the tomb was wide open. And because of that, our preaching is powerful and our faith is, is fruitful and our sin has been subdued and death will be defeated. And our future is fantastic. Uh, there's a story about a a woman who was elderly and the doctors hadn't given her much time to live. And so she meets with her pastor, talks about the hymn she wants to sing, and she talks about scriptures she wants to read. And just before he leaves her, she says, one more thing, can you put a fork in my hand? He says, a fork in my hand in the casket. And, 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 and the pastor's puzzled. And she goes, yeah, you know when we have those church socials, those, those, uh, those uh, uh, what do we call them, uh, potlucks and those dinners, says after they, when they clear the table and all the plates, I love it when they say, keep the fork, because that means the best is yet to come. And uh, I, uh, that's a silly illustration, but I think it's, it's kind of beautiful in that death has for sure lost its sting and our future is fantastic, it's fabulous. The best is, is yet to come. Uh, so just for a minute, I wanna visit the, the narrative. John's, through John's eyes, the resurrection story. And so from John chapter 20, it says, early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple. And, and the one that Jesus loved and said, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they have put him. The Easter story doesn't begin in the light of day. Who is this Mary? It, it's still dark out. She's going and there's the other gospels say there's a, a couple other women with her. Possibly she's from a wealthy background. We don't know. Maybe she owns a business in her hometown. We do know this, that she was a broken woman who was healed by Jesus. Uh, uh, again, back to our trip, you're going to get a lot of illustrations uh, in the next probably couple of weeks uh, about our the, the beautiful uh, journey that we took, walking in some of the footsteps that Jesus walked in. But along the Galilee there, one morning we got up and, uh, and uh, we, we went to the ancient beach on the Sea of Galilee called Migdal. 
Now, in that location, a Catholic organization, while building a hotel in 2009, discovered some ruins just, just here a few years back. And what was unearthed were the remains of the ancient town of Magdala, the home of Mary Magdalene, the star of, our, of, our, of the scriptures this morning here in John chapter 20. Uh, and what they discovered not only were the, like, like the markets and some homes, but they also discovered an ancient synagogue, which they believe is one of the oldest in Israel, dated around the time of Jesus Christ. Amazing. And there's some other things that I won't go into in detail, but I'm showing a picture here of it. And it's just, it's so beautiful because we can, we can actually see where, uh, where Mary came from in the little village, potentially, and probably the synagogue that this woman who shows up in our scripture probably would have worshiped in. In fact, Matthew writes that Jesus went throughout Galilee teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness among the people. So I can, I can just about bet you next week's paycheck that Jesus would have preached in this synagogue. I just love that, that it was maybe at that synagogue where Jesus met Mary and discovered how troubled she was and the healing that she needed. So this first Easter begins at dawn when it's still dark. And it's, it's a place that's uh, far less clear and, and far more personal because you see, some of the most oppressive powers that we encounter aren't political and they aren't cultural, but they're internal struggles. They're personal struggles, their spiritual struggles. And this is what Mary was experiencing. And the day Jesus set her free, it says that she followed Jesus from that minute on. In fact, here's the story of her deliverance in, 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 in Luke's account. It says, after this, Jesus traveled about uh, from one town and village to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. The 12 were with him and also some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Mary, called Magdalene, uh, from whom seven demons had come out, and Joanna, the wife of Chusa, and the manager of Herod's household, and Susanna, and many others. Look at this. These women were helping to support them out of their own means. So here's these women who've been touched and, and, and healed by Jesus, who are helping to sustain our Lord's ministry uh, for the years around Galilee and then, of course, she followed, this Mary Magdalene followed him to Jerusalem uh, for, for the time of his crucifixion. John records that Mary followed him all the way to the cross. Very few did. Just the scriptures only record three women and one disciple, and that's John the disciple. And long after the disciples, most of the disciples had run off and hid, she's still there by the cross. And at the end of the crucifixion, Mary is found at the tomb. We, we, we read that Mary was heading to the tomb on this early morning while it's still dark, and she becomes the first witness of Christ's victory over death. In fact, the whole narrative talks about Peter and John running to the tomb, and then they ran away because Jesus was gone, and, and then Mary is there weeping outside the tomb, and she encounters a couple of angels, and then Mary encounters who she thinks is a gardener, but it turns out to be Jesus, and she's the first witness of the resurrected Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, okay, so physical darkness that morning, absolutely. But emotional darkness, unbelievably, I believe so. Because uh, here's somebody who was transformed by the power of Jesus Christ, loved him, followed him, and now she's outside of his tomb and it's empty and she thinks someone has taken the body uh, until she encounters Jesus in that moment. So you can just 
imagine the, the emotional darkness and discouragement that she's feeling. So the first Easter begins, I believe, where life on our planet today finds us. It's, it's not always a safe world. It's not always a sane world. And it's not always satisfying. We are in the midst of an unprecedented time. And, and if you could say one word is insanity seems to be all around us with all that's taking place with, with, uh, with the virus that we're encountering. And, uh, and I believe that's, uh, that's, that's what this, this resurrection and that's what this first Easter was born into, a very broken, a very unsatisfying place in human history and not safe for sure. So Easter morning enters the world in, in such a way. The love of God it's deep love that seeks into the darkness. And it's not a fairy tale kind of love. And it's not a, a forced devotion kind of love. It's a love that reaches into our real world just as it reached into the real world in, in, in Mary of Magdalene's time. So the good news today is that the garden tomb was open on that first Easter Sunday. The tomb is empty and God's power is present to transform our broken past just as it was transforming and transformed the past of Mary of Magdalene. Seven demons she was delivered from. And those that darkness was trying to define who she was and what her future was. And you know what? The past can be an anchor in our life as well. It can impede our destiny. Uh, and you know what? We all have struggles. We all have spiritual battles. We all maybe are encountering, it may not be demons with the capital D, but there's spiritual forces that are at work against us. Past shame can bind us down from the hope of who we long to be. Uh, there's illustration of little six-year-old kids who were asked to write a prayer, and, and, and the little guy named Arthur, he kind of starts fidgeting, and, 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 and finally he wrote, Dear God, please help me to be the person my dog thinks I am. <laughs> and I think, yeah, uh, maybe that prayer could be fine-tuned this morning for us. Dear God, please help me to be the person you think I am because the only entity more loyal on this planet than our, our Labrador is the, the Lord Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit. And, uh, and, I, and I think of that because, you know, Jesus spoke deliverance over Mary's life. He looked into her eyes and he confronted the, the, the dark powers that were trying to hold her back and he set her free. Jesus saw the potential in Mary long before she was able to walk in it. And I think that's true for us today. I think God sees the potential in your life and in my life long before we are even able to wrap our minds around it. That's kind of my takeaway from, from this message of this beautiful testimony of this beautiful woman, Mary Magdalene. Sociologists have a theory. It's called the looking glass self. And, and the theory is this, you become what the most important person in your life thinks you are. So it might be your wife, it might be your parent, it might be a boss. It's saying that you become what they think you are or maybe what they speak over you. This morning, we, each of us, can gaze into the eyes of our resurrected Lord Jesus and we get to see who he thinks we are. He sees us whole. He sees us transformed. He sees us healed, of course. He sees us delivered. He sees potential. He sees destiny. I like that. That's the Lord. That's the eyes that we can look into 
you know, Mary looked into his eyes on the shores of Galilee. Because of the resurrection, we get to look into his resurrected eyes and experience that same freedom. That's good news. We're not defined by our past. We're not tethered to our failures. We're freed to the power of Jesus Christ and his resurrection. Paul writes the church, church at Colossae and he says, you were dead because of your sins and because your sinful nature was not yet cut away. Then God made you alive with Christ for he forgave all our sins. Wow. Wow, there again, you see resurrection, alive in Christ. The sins have been overwhelmed by his presence and by his forgiveness and the power of the Holy Spirit to walk free from that. So the good news from the empty grave is Jesus can overcome any powers uh, from our past or from the present, anything we encounter or anything in the future coming down the road. So that's, that's, that's just some thoughts I wanna share with you today. I wanna pray as well. Uh, in just a second, but Jesus still changes, still changes lives today. And maybe you need life change for something you're going through, or maybe a struggle, maybe a spiritual attack, maybe something physically, maybe, maybe, maybe you just need to cry out to the Lord Jesus uh, for salvation today and be transformed by his presence. I want to pray for you just briefly and, uh, and I encourage you to just, uh, to just reach out to the Lord today, even as this amazing woman Mary did so many years ago. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you today for your great love and your great grace. And I thank you, Jesus, on this Easter for your resurrection and that power of your resurrection that still touches our lives and transforms the world today. Lord Jesus, we pray for anyone today that may need to encounter life change uh, that, that by just reaching out to you and surrendering to you, that we could encounter that, Lord Jesus. You said if we confess our sin, that you're faithful and just to forgive us. Lord Jesus, you said that if we cry out to you, that you reach us and that you, you, you set us free and you, you give us salvation and you begin the process of a life that is transformed and being transformed by the power of your Holy Spirit. So Lord, we give you our lives today. We ask you, Lord, to cleanse us, to forgive us, to heal us, to transform us by your grace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Just one more thing. I just want to share with you something kind of exciting, and that is a special Easter offering that we are going to receive today. You say, we're not in church. Yes, we are. The church is all over the city. Uh, but this, this offering, and we can do it through uh, electronic means, but this is going to be designed and be given towards um, a partner that we, uh, an organization within our city that we partner with, Second Harvest, that's doing an incredible job right now during this time to make, uh, uh, to, to provide need, uh, sustenance to the most vulnerable, access to food and other basic resources, uh, these things that are necessary to, to maintain a healthy lifestyle. Now, not only are they feeding families in need, but they're also assisting the, the Madison schools in feeding children that relied on the school for food. And so we're just so thankful for the Second Harvest. We host a once a month food pantry here and they're doing a care box campaign. And here's the idea. Their goal is to provide 100,000 boxes of food over the next six to eight weeks to help families impacted by the coronavirus. All right, so we wanna join with Second Harvest and give toward their care box campaign. Each care box is about $10. 
And if you, you can, by the way, give securely through our, our Ridgeway uh, uh, push pay account. Uh, all you have to do is select Easter offering that will be there in the wheel. And uh, anything you give, we want to match up to $2,000 through our missions ministry, okay? So that means if, if we can raise $100,000 today, we'll, we'll be able to match that with 200 care boxes. And if we come up with two, uh, $2,000 in this offering, we'll match that for 400 care boxes. This is so exciting. We just are excited to partner with this, this ministry. And what greater time to sow into our community uh, than at Easter time. We've all been blessed by the power of Jesus' life, his death, his resurrection. We have been blessed so that we can be a blessing, amen? So uh, do that, go to your push pay and sometime today or or uh, this weekend and, and, do, and, and, and submit that. Again, identify that it's for the Easter offering and we will give all that money uh, towards, uh, towards this amazing uh, uh, organization, Second Harvest here in our community, okay? God bless you, Christ is risen. He's risen indeed. Have a wonderful day in Christ. Amen.